Meredith, my lovely co-host. Uh, Meredith, we haven't done this. Did we do one at, at summer camp? I don't think we did. We were supposed to, but we got distracted and didn't get it done. <laughs> yeah, we, I, I just looked and it didn't look like we had done anything since August. So, um, since early August. So we're back and, we're back. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of the opposite. You know, if you follow these podcasts, there's two types, right? There's the one that Meredith and I do, which are sort of, um, a little bit more freestyle, which is a nice way to say it. And then, uh, then there's the building blocks, which, you know, that system is in place. So you guys can kind of have like the foundational podcast for, you know, things that you want to do. So you'll hear podcasts from, you know, how, you know, how to interpret a body fat test to, you know, how to structure meal plans. So if you get a chance, you know, I think a lot of people listen to these podcasts and they didn't even know we had a podcast, right? So subscribing and liking will be something that you'd be able to to do. You can find them in iTunes. You can find them in SoundCloud, Stitcher. Still don't have them in Spotify, but hoping to get that up soon. We also, um, we have kind of a special going the next couple days. So if you're hearing this past Labor Day, might not be true, but right now we do have um, one month free trials, which is very rare. And uh, I think we've got 19 spots open. I'd have to check. Um, but the page basically shuts down when uh, all those spots are filled up. So, you know, just hop in. If the if the page opens up for you, then awesome. You got in. Um, anything happening on your end, Meredith, that uh, is kind of kind of snazzy? Not snazzy. We just kids are back to school and trying to get back to the same old, just get into a routine of them being back in school. And um, I am coaching my daughter's volleyball team. That's fun. Um, haven't done that before, so <laughs> it's an experience. Is she, is she a spiker or is she a digger? She loves she loves to pass um, because she just likes being in the background passing. But honestly, what's funny is she's actually a really good setter. But she doesn't want to set because she doesn't want to be the center of attention. Like she says, that's too much pressure because the setter kind of controls the floor and controls the game. And um, she doesn't want to be the center of attention, which is really funny because I was a setter. So she's like the complete opposite of me. Complete but, opposite of mom. Complete opposite. But she's, um, but I mean, it's fun. It's just I haven't ever coached. We just, the coach that we had wasn't able to coach anymore. And we wanted to kind of keep some of the team together. So. So, so it, did I did I get that right or, or wrong? What are the people called? The the people that kind of dig out the spikes. There's a, there's defense. Um, that I mean defense is what they call it. Um, passers. Um, there's but one. Doesn't that person libero. like wear like a special shirt? That's called a libero. So they're the ones they sub in. All they do is stay in that back row in their defense. So that's at Bailey's level because she's only 10. We're playing her up to 11 and 12, but we don't have that. So everybody kind of does all the positions a little bit. But as you get up into the more competitive stuff, yeah, it's called libero. So, so the reason why I know all this is because I was at a summer camp when I was a little kid, and I probably would have been maybe 13, 14 at the time. And a lot of the counselors were volleyball players from the University <laughs> of New Orleans. Oh, and cool. So basically. You know, these were the kind of gals that uh, were not going to go easy on you. 
<laughs> and so, so I got a face full of volleyball for a for a whole summer long. Um, but I I learned to play volleyball pretty well, and uh, I actually kind of would have liked to play it in high school, but it, of course, wasn't offered in Louisiana. My they hair looks ridiculous okay. for those that don't know. <laughs> Meredith and I, we do it on camera so we can kind of riff back and forth, but uh, but my hair looks ridiculous right now. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I didn't notice. Um, no, I um, I was just going to say back to the, there was a lot more high schools offering men's volleyball, you know, boys or volleyball nowadays. Um, but it's still far, far between. But I know a lot of a lot of boys that would actually play. I would have been whatever that guy with the special shirt is. Yeah. The libero. <laughs> that would be me. I would be the libero. Yep. Um, so okay, the um, we're gonna hop right into the topic because uh, my daughter is actually she's just finishing summer school. She didn't have to take summer school because she was in trouble. She actually chose to take it. Um, so she could start calculus a year earlier and then we're take advanced statistics as a senior. So, so she spent a good portion of her summer, you know, learning more math, which is interesting because <laughs> she took the ACT and, and missed a perfect score by one thing as a sophomore. You know, um, it, it was funny, like, uh, talking to my dad, you know, every day, you know, Emily and I drive to and from the school and I typically drive because she's tired and then she drives on the way back. And my dad, who we had visited in Jackson, Mississippi, Emily was fairly quiet most of the trip, which was not necessarily her personality. Usually she's a little bit more outgoing. Mm -hmm. but, um, but my dad thought he was giving her a compliment and ultimately it ended up being a compliment. Um, but he was like, you know, my dad still, I, I don't think I could do justice to his Southern accent. I'm not going to even try it. Um, <laughs> but, but basically what he was saying is that uh, every time Emily talked, she said something weird. And, um, and I was like, so get to the compliment part, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And he said, well, here's the compliment part. He said, every single person has come up to me and said, man, I think that little girl might be the smartest person I've ever met. Oh. <laughs> so it was, was kind of cute for her. So all, all the hard work, you know, the thing that I always dig about Emily is that, um, you know, she she doesn't take her talents for granted. She really works hard at them. So I think that that's pretty cool. Um, so anyway, the topic of the day, and I, I actually wrote an article about it. I might attach this podcast to it um, about uh, kind of the guilt that people feel related to dieting and why that guilt exists. And I, so I wanted to unpack that a little bit. And, and you know, usually the way that I do this is to kind of go through my experiences and obviously, you know, Meredith will have her experiences as well. And so in the article, I kind of talked a little bit about how when I first started off, it was just really about calorie restriction, you know, and I, and I really did not pay a lot of attention to, you know, foods and, and things of this nature. At, at, at that point, 
you know, I probably was eating pretty bad, but I only weighed like 185 pounds. So it wasn't like, you know, totally out the ballpark at that point. And, you know, I, I, I just wanted to get from 185 to, to 170. And I might've, I might've actually been closer to 190, but try to get into like that 170 to 175 range. And, and sure enough, I did it. But the problem was that I did it in such a restrictive way that I left myself wanting. And, and, and if I'm being real truthful for you, I was just eating less of the foods that I was eating previously. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now knowing so much more than I knew back then, I realized that I was probably putting my state itself in a state of being a little bit more insulin sensitive, much more prone to storage at a certain point, especially, you know, as you're eating dramatically less, trying to suck it up and then just get through it. And then, of course, you have that moment where you're 170 to 175. You know, and you get to be some version of happy. Um, but then literally the first day out of dieting, you know, the scale goes up three to four pounds. You talk yourself off the ledge and you come up with some type of compromise that lands you roughly in the same spot that you were previously. Right. And so. It sets up this false paradigm that the answer is eating less, or in that case, eating less of foods that, you know, I wouldn't say was, I mean, I was eating pretty bad at that point. So, you know, to say that, um, you know, there was any real look at healthful type of things. I mean, if I ate broccoli once a week, you know, I thought <laughs> had it covered, you know. Woo! <laughs> Not, was not really thinking about salads at that point or anything like that. And so I think that, you know, a lot of people that first start off dieting, especially for men, you know, that's how we start off. You know, we, oh, yeah. we chicken wings and, and beer. I mean, beer is not my reality, but, you know, in general, the intervention, you know, knowing what I know now, I wouldn't have done it as extremely. Right. Right. And uh, I think that's that's what happens for a lot of people. And, and when I looked at it, when I look back at what I was doing at that time and how I did it, you know. It was very easy for me to go, OK, I'm 185, 190, getting down to 170, 175, not that big a deal. Right. Right. Um, but it became a, a much bigger deal moving forward. So. Talking about like how the next 10 years progressed and and how that changed my view of food, that'll be the next part. But Meredith, why don't you why don't you talk a little bit about your experience and maybe how it differed from my dieting experience? Well, so I've probably chronically been dieting since I was 14, you know, and I wasn't I wasn't even overweight at 14, you know, I was healthy and growing, but and I've talked about this in other other podcasts where I've struggled with eating disorders and stuff when I was young. But so even when that wasn't an issue per se, I had disordered eating because I would, if I ate something, you're talking about guilt, if I ate something I didn't think I should, say I had a donut at work because there was donuts at work, you know, then I would do the extreme where then I wouldn't eat anything else the rest of the day because I felt 
guilty because I ate that one donut or I'd make sure that I didn't eat anything but, you know, something really small for dinner. Um, and then I'd make myself go run or I'd make myself like I had that guilt of eating some of that bad food um, that, that, you know, get labeled good foods, bad foods. So um, I would punish myself. You're kind of of getting ahead of the (laughs) next part of the podcast, but but you're actually like, spoiler alert, that's what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, is when you are under eating most of the time, right, or overreacting, you're, you don't have kind of like this right mindset about how you should be approaching food. And one of the things that, that I mentioned that doesn't occur to people, right? So there, there's all these people and they're lifting weights and, 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 you know, they have more muscle on their frame and all this other type of stuff. Well, I got bad news for you. Your body wants to grow, right? Mm-hmm. Your body is trying to stay alive, right? That's mm-hmm. why... Even women have testosterone, men have testosterone to hold on to the muscle that we already have and potentially build more. Right. right? And so when you do something like bodybuilding or you do something like CrossFit to a certain extent, you know, you're basically asking yourself for a version of a growth spurt. Right. You're asking yourself to grow and trying to force it. And it's funny because you start to have these kinds of conversations and women will be like, I don't want to grow. It doesn't matter what you want. Right. It's what your body's doing to try and keep you alive. Right. And so what happens in this scenario and, and, you know, you have to kind of look at it two ways. Right. Your body's going to be, you know, prone to store fat more in a scenario where you are under eating or maybe, you know, uh, not exercising. If you're exercising, you're basically asking your body to build new tissue. And hopefully most of that tissue is going to be lean tissue. But we we sort of know that that's not necessarily the case. Right. So if you gain 10 pounds. You know, you might gain four pounds of muscle and six pounds of it might be fat. And what I don't think people realize in that scenario is the metabolic value of that tissue. Right. Right. So when you look at how they measure your metabolism, there's numbers of ways to do it. But most of the estimations come off of the amount of muscle that you have. But I interrupted you and you have to say. So what were you going to say? Well, I was just just back to that, but it was always more that even I I was under eating, chronically under eating my whole life, and if for some reason I thought that I was eating bad or that I wanted to lose a little bit of weight, I would restrict that even further, and I would do it in an extreme way. I've done the no sugar, you know, like nothing, no fruit, no, not necessarily carbs, but just no sugar, and then I've done the no carb thing. <laughs> I've done the, you know, the version of keto before there was keto. You know, I've done all of those and all that restriction, but I was already under eating. And I would lose, I would go down, you know, I'd lose a little bit at first, and then um, I couldn't sustain that, and I'd come back up, and then I'd feel bad and feel bad at myself because I was there, and I'd find a way to. So so that's a great example. 
you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is not going into vacation after a dieting cycle, right? And what oh, yeah. Meredith we described, so, so, you know, kind of the long and short of how your body wants to react to either a deficit or a um, period where you're trying to eat in abundance, your, your body's going to deal with that one way or the other. So in the case of abundance, not a lot of people try that part, right? Where your body's actually adjusting to that, you're lifting more, building muscle, all these different things. But that's not the only way, you know, some of some of the things that you're going to take in are going to leave as waste. You know, what po people don't realize is that it's very difficult to make yourself obese, right? Like most people tracking food are not going to get obese, right? They might gain weight one way or the other but in general you know like if you look at for myself you know i've been you know working on muscle building for probably about a year and a half right now okay. and what what i did at that point was just went to 195 to 200 right and then you know it, it might be time to start cutting here real soon but but i'm still fighting it i don't want to <laughs> um, but but you're not going to put on any significant amount of mass without having some weight and that's the that's part of the equation that i know is a little bit more difficult for for women than it is for men um so but I've it's, been, it's not just exclusive to women no, it isn't. And I was just say, so I've kind of been doing what you've been doing for the last eight months. I've been in more of a gaining phase, a muscle building phase, trying to get stronger. Um, and I just have not paid attention to the scale. And I've been eating at an abundance, a higher volume to feed that. Um, and I have. I've put on about seven pounds of muscle. And, um, well, according to the end, it's hard to say. I mean, because according to the, you know, we there's listen to the building blocks thing, how to, you know, to um, – they talk about how to interpret those body fat tests. So I have one way to measure, and that's the, what I did. And so somewhere I put on some weight, and I put on, but it's the muscle, a, a good share. I can see it. I can see those changes in my body. So I know it's not all fat. Um, but now, as of right after summer camp, <laughs> I am now in that. I am in a fat loss phase for the first time in about a year. So, um, but I had to. It and it's so far. It's it's. I'm seeing results already. But I wouldn't have seen that if I had already been under eating and I hadn't come into that with that already eating it. I think that, you know, without trying to, you know, try to pull it back to what the original intent of the, the you know, podcast was, is that most people that are dieting view the dieting cycle as the answer. Right. And when you say, you know, I have my cheat days, stuff like that, you're cheating on your dieting. If you thought to yourself that dieting is not the normal state to be in, the normal state is your calories at a much higher calorie point, then you're on the more correct path, right? right. And that's a little bit of, of what Meredith was talking about. But I think it goes even beyond that, and we'll, we'll get into the second part here in just a second, but it goes even beyond that that when you're eating in abundance and you're seeing normal scale fluctuation, I think what's so funny is that people get very invested in, you know, three to four pounds, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, they, they're having their macros go up in kind of like a normalization period, right, which we call performance recomp. And they're really invested in that three to four pounds, and then all of a sudden they go into fat loss and they're down 15 pounds, right? And they would not have gotten 15 pounds if they, you know, held on to that three, four pounds so tightly, right? And so, you know, I think one of the things that sort of happens with the perform the natural evolution of what we are, what we do, is that as we fish with a broader net, we're bringing in all these types of people that don't necessarily view food from the standpoint of using it to do cooler, more awesome things. You know, they're probably looking at it still from the old dieting mindset. That's very difficult. And when we're talking about lean mass, we really need to talk about how you're holding on to muscle and, and what needs to happen in that process. So kind of the second phase of um, my dieting life, you know, um, and it's funny because I wrote, I, I did, it was almost like an audio book. Um, I think that's what I called it was my dieting life. <laughs> and I just kind of riffed, you know, it might actually, you might be able to find it here by, by searching the podcast. Um, it'd be interesting for me to kind of, listen back to some of those things but but the next phase of my dieting life was the good and bad food but the difference between the good and bad food approach for me was that i understood that calories you know could not get to like this ridiculous level or i would get nowhere right because i started from a calorie restricted standpoint and started buying into kind of the good food bad food idea and then the last version was sort of intermittent fasting. So if you look at it, you go to calories, that's not working, right? Um, and, and let's be clear about what's working and what's not working. Because a lot of times people will go, well, I did this. That's the only thing that works for me. And then, you know, you see that they're going through yet another cycle of that. If it had worked for you, you wouldn't have to constantly redo it, right? And, you know, when you look at the way that we talk to people with Eat to Perform, you know, it's kind of like this lifetime where sometimes your weight's going to be up and sometimes it's going to be down. And it really depends on what your focus is. You know, I mean, certainly as someone who used this to go from 255 pounds to 150 pounds, you know, um, there was a lot of focus there. What I think happens, and I actually talked about that in one of the other articles this week, is that I think for most people, this this is sort of, if I had the opportunity to, this is sort of how I think most people think of it, right? So at 185, 190 was my number, right? That was my panic number. I'm going to push the panic button. And I'm going to go back to, let's say, 175. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to 175. And then you realize, oh, my God, that sucks so bad, you know, that you just ignore the scale. You, you do all the things that people say, you know, oh, the scale and me, we just aren't friends. No, 
you don't want the information that the scale's telling you. Like you talk to anybody and you say, hey, when was the last time you've been a doctor? Oh, five, 10 years ago. That's because your ass doesn't want to know what the doctor's <laughs> going to tell you. Right? You start to get comfortable with information and you also have to be comfortable that that information, you know, if you understand that your body actually does want to grow and hold on to muscle and things of this nature, and everybody's talking about how they all want to be stronger. It's like, well, you know, if you're gaining muscle, you know, and let's say that you're maintaining, you know, a normal fat range, your weight is probably going to go up in that scenario, mm -hmm. right? And so what happens is, is in, you know, this would happen for me and, and what I think happens for a lot of people is now all of a sudden their new panic number becomes 200, right? right. And basically this is how people diet their way to obesity. You're more likely to diet your way to obesity than just to, to overeat. Like for instance, if I had just stayed at 185, started lifting weights, I would have maintained or or grown muscle in that period of time what happens when you diet is you become more prone to store in yeah. those low periods and think about where you're at at that point you know for how many women do we talk to on a daily basis that are eating a thousand to twelve hundred calories what do you think's going to happen when you show up at the cheesecake factory Right. And then what's going to happen when you step on the scale, just hoping that your 3000 calorie meal at cheese factory, cheesecake factory didn't do any damage. And then you find out, holy shit, it did five pounds of damage. <laughs> what do you think right. that's going to do to your mentality? Right. And so right. it's the process of viewing food as kind of the enemy. That is a little bit of the issue. Um, but I'm going I'm to let you finish off and then kind of just talk a little bit more about that piece. And then, you know, we'll kind of shut it down because, like I said, you know, we're a little short on time today. <laughs> but, yeah, no, you you said that exactly right. And I think that's what a lot of people I know that was my experience for a long time. And I think that that's what a lot of women do. And then there's that guilt that goes with it that. Um, yes, guys do that, too. <laughs> yes. I, I would I would say that guys do it actually more extreme than women, because if you look at guys are way worse than, at this than women, because women aren't eating that much already. Guys are much more prone to, to drinking a 12 pack of beer and having wings and things of this nature and then coming back on Monday and just salading it up after intermittent fasting through the day. So guys have the ability to be a little bit more extreme. I think women feel it because they're already close to that low limit on, on you know, to start with. Oh yeah. That makes that makes sense completely. But so whether you're you're male or female, whatever, there has to be a way, you've got to be able to get your mind in a in a in a place where you don't get to that point where just because you you ate something or because that did go up um the, the scale went up because you did have that 3000 calorie meal at cheesecake factory that you don't go in the next day extreme diet to 500 calories intermittent fast like you said and then because then the next time you eat a regular meal your body's going to want to store that that goes back into that storage that storage phase and um i mean i lived that i lived that for the first you know 25 years, 30 years of my life. No, not whole life, but yeah. probably from about 14 well, to about 35, 20 years. I mean, you know, when you look at 
the basis for a super day, right? Mm -hmm. And why a super day is important. It's because it allows you to eat a little bit more flexibility, but it also has, you know, um, some favorable things as it relates to hormones. So when you look at your low days compared to your high days, those exist for a reason within each form. And so for those that don't know, kind of your super days are days that your fats are the highest, your carbohydrates are the highest, you know, protein stays the same pretty much all the time. And then your low day, you're sort of flushing out, you know, you only have two low days a week. And so it's funny because it's, it's two low days a week. It's almost like people would rather have all seven days suck rather than only having two days suck. But the problem with that approach is that your body adjusts to that so much faster. Right. Oh, yeah. And so, so, you know, what you're essentially trying to do with each perform is to bring your weight down in a gradual manner so it's more sustainable and you hold on to muscle in that process. But kind of, you know, ending on the note that you said, I think that, um, and and I don't think this is necessarily just men, because I, I think that, uh, you know, this borders on binge type of behavior. And I've always felt like, you know, if you're prone to those types of, of, of disorders, you know, one of the best ways to kind of deal with that is to take an approach where you're mostly fed most of the time, right? And so when you look at that piece, go ahead, Meredith, you were going to no, say something. I was just, I was just going to, um, you know, add to that, that the, it's, it's partly a mindset though. And it's something that you have control over. you still have control over, you know, you've got your high, medium, low super days that we have, but when you can do that and when you're, when you're prone to that disordered eating, um, which I am, I have been, um, but for the last couple of years been fine. It's, it's the fact that I have, that I, that I feel like I have that control. Sometimes I think it's kind of a control issue, but the, um, knowing and learning and educating myself and others at the same time what how our body responds to food and how our body responds to those high medium and low days as we go along just that education piece of changing that mindset is so important so that you don't fall back into some of those though on a clinical level right a lot of you know the core of most eating disorders is the need for control right <laughs> Exactly. And, and, you know, so you want to kind of be careful with the rigidity of that type of thing. The one thing that I will say, though, is, and kind of what I was getting to um, before you made your point was that, you know, when it got to be, you know, to its most extreme, you know, I'm making lists of foods, and, you know, because, you know, you have this one day and, I mean, if if my teenage daughter saw that, boy, I, I would be really disappointed, you know, because it would would have really set them up for you know a bad relationship with food, or at least you know as a parent and mentor, you know, you don't want to be kind of setting up those those bad ideas, you know, in the intermittent fasting world. I mean, I remember it being 90 degrees and my 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 fingers would be cold. My my toes would be cold. Extremities would be cold. Um, that's when you're sort of taking things a little too far, you know. Um, 
and I, I think that, you know, kind of what I talked about in the, in, in the article, and I think is a great place to end is that, you know, I finally figured out at 255 pounds, what I didn't know at 185. Right. And it was that my want for solving the problem all at once, mm-hmm. you know, was hurting me. And what started as a 10 to 15 pound problem became what I viewed as a hundred pound problem. In reality, you know, it probably wasn't a hundred pound problem. You know, I, I, you know, if you were to ask me how I would do it now, I'd probably would have lost weight, gone back to 185, done it a little bit slower so I could have held on to more muscle in that process, had resistance training in place and just kind of kept that focus. I think the good majority of people, that are struggling reaching their goals, what they're really struggling with is they have kind of two goals, right? They have, you know, their panic number, right? Yeah. And 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 so so the panic number is 200, you know? And so, you know, they set that in place, they, they move to fat loss and they get to 190. And what ends up happening at 190 is they lose the focus. And that's the reason why they never get to 160, you know, is because they're controlled by their panic number and not really controlled by, you know, the overall process. I mean, a big piece of why people like Eat to Perform is because you can eat a little bit more flexibly, which I believe that that's the only sustainable way to do things over time. But at the end of the day, you know, you do have to stay focused on what's really important. So if we see somebody that, you know, is 5'3", 270 pounds, the discussions that we're having with them are very different than the discussions that we're having with someone that's 5'7", 130 as a female, right? Because, right. you know, what the person that's 270, they need to understand is that there needs to be a focus. I, I, I have one private client of actually talked about her in um, these meetings before, but one of the nice things, and I think that she appreciated, was that she actually chose to not be in a fat loss cycle all summer long. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a big part of the discussion now is, of course, staying focused, and and she's already made a lot of progress. She's been able to make a lot of progress eating a good amount, but at a certain point, you can out-eat your metabolism. And so, you know, having that information, I think I think one of the things that, that you know, people don't realize, I mean, they, they kind of take it for granted and they're, you know, I'm giving you greens, but, you know, I'm not losing massive amounts of weight. Well, are you in a phase where you're supposed to be losing a massive amount of weight? You know? I mean, certainly you can burn the candle at both ends. I was a great example of that. I lost Mm -hmm. a lot of weight eating over 5,000 calories a day. But was that sustainable for life? Was that something that is the core of what we teach now? No, it was really kind of the trial and error. You know, I think for the good majority of people that that are holding on to kind of a lot of weight, Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily – and this was actually – you know, what I was kind of getting into before yeah. I lost lost track, but there was a study and it talked about 
how fit people view goals besides people that that have a little bit more weight to lose, right? And for fit people, you know, the the finish line always seems closer, right? And you go, well, okay, that makes sense because if you're 180 pounds going to 170, that's only 10 pounds. Of course, that's closer. No, right. what the study did was it it put similar conditions on similar goals, right? And so what would happen is if it was a 285-pound male, you know, the way that they viewed 50 yards was very different than a person that viewed, you know, was a 170-pound man, right? Mm-hmm. And 50 yards is always 50 yards, right? right? Now, could you make the argument that, you know, 50 yards is harder and therefore seems farther, right? You, you probably could, right? I mean, of course, you know, if you're 270 pound on 170, I mean, if you're a betting person, you're going to bet on the 170 person getting to the 50 yards. So, so there is some logic to that, but I think that extends a little bit more towards um, the overall thought process, right? And this is where I think, you know, somebody saying, I have 100 pounds to lose, you're, you're setting yourself up to failure right out the gate. When I lost 100 pounds, I did not lose 100 pounds going, 100 pounds or bust, right? <laughs> I lost it two pounds at a time. I mean, initially it was five pounds at a time, right? I was like, anybody could lose five pounds, right? And so, you know, I'd go to the gym. At that point, I was making sure that I was eating enough because I, I was done starving, right? And I was like, you know, what – what I did at that time is something that I encourage everybody to do is you take the ball, you be in charge of you. Right. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in my life at that weight, I understood something that I never understood at 185. Right. At 185, the calories had control over me. And right. that's the, that's the thing that I think happens when you start to get into good and bad food and you start to constantly under eat and you don't allow your food to normalize. And we say this all the time, but trust me, you don't know what normal looks like. You don't know what the calories that you could be at, even if you were sedentary. Right. Right. And so, you know, what happens, you know, kind of the, the end point of the article is that, you know, People view chicken and kale as the solution. And, you know, the reality is it's the opposite. It's that the chicken and kale all the time is actually causing your problems. So, so many people on the weekend, you know, eat great for five days, really super under control. And then they have more to drink. They have more to eat on the weekends. And if they were eating relative i mean first of all they wouldn't go off the rails on the weekend if they were eating a good amount most of the days and so they're sort of in this rinse and repeat mode where they're compromising their metabolism most of the time people talk about metabolism like it's some mystery type thing i mean brad made an article about this earlier in the week virtually everything that we need to know scientifically we already know the difference is that people are using the tools wrong right all right so i have not given you a word in i'll give you the last okay. word shut down 
Um, I guess what I just, just from experience and clients and everything else, that if you can just wrap your mind around it and get rid of that, we talked about at the beginning, really we were talking about, we want to talk about guilt. Get rid of that guilt of dieting, that guilt of, um, oh, I can't eat that, that guilt of, oh, I ate that, so now I have to do this, or, oh, I put a little bit of weight on, so now I've got to go to an extreme. If you can get rid of that and normalize your eating, and then you're going to find a lot. One, I think you're going to be happier because you're not going to be starving all the time. Two, you won't um, fight those those mental battles that way, you know, that just that you won't feel as bad about yourself because I think that that guilt really affects self-esteem and self-confidence as well too. Plus, you're just going to finally start to see the results that you want eating more than you really ever thought you could because like you said, people don't know what normal looks like. They don't, they think normal is maybe 16 to 1800 calories. I would think a lot of people believe that that's normal and you diet down to 1000 or 1200. 1800 yeah. isn't 16 to 1800 isn't normal. You're dieting at 1800. So if you start at 1800, that's what I was saying about men yeah. versus women. Women yeah. start at 1800 and then gradually, you know, well, they don't gradually. Typically, they go straight to 1,200, right. and then they fall, and then they're like, well, I guess I got to eat less than 1,200. And it's like, whoa, we, 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 we're just in yeah. the wrong place. Just as an example, real fast, I'm on a fat loss phase. My low day is over 19 in a fat yeah. loss phase, just, yeah. as, just as an example. So but I, I, that would – You're starting – where yeah. you were eating in an abundant way. And I mean, you know, I was with Meredith, right? I mean, I kept talking like I had severe quad envy. You know, she <laughs> she does. Like she said, she has a lot of muscle, you know. And I think that, you know, I mean, pretty much every day you wore a bikini, you were fine mentally, yeah. right? Yeah. Like yeah. really no, there was none of the, the negative self-talk that I see people struggle with, right. you know, and I think that negative self-talk that when you, you now think of it, and like you said, maybe you had a donut, maybe you had a glass of wine and pizza, you know, <laughs> if, if, if your self-worth is sort of tied up into, you know, whether you eat chicken and kale, you might be kind of missing the point of what real health looks like. And I think, you know, <laughs> talk about, Physical health, you know, and people kind of make this misinterpretation of having abs versus physical health. You know, you don't necessarily need to be able to see your muscles to be healthy. But right. the thing that's sort of discounted in the the quest for optimal health is mental health. Right. And 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 the role that that's playing. So I said I would give you the last word, but I took the last word. That's okay. I just, that, I, I, that was me for a really long time. And I am for the last, honestly, it was my, it was eat to perform. I've said this before. It was eat to perform and the approach of eat to perform that helped me with that mental um, struggle that I had. And now I don't have that. I don't have that body image issue, even though I was a little heavier than I would have liked to have been in a bikini on the beach. You know, when you, when you get yourself in that, when you start thinking about it, but I was good. It was fine, and I'm happy with where I am. And um, but it's it's just getting your head around that. And like you said, that mental health issue is such a big piece of it too. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I'm not gonna lie to you. You know, I wasn't 
absolutely dying at the end of the summer to walk out in in a bathing suit, right? <laughs> um, but you know what was really cool about the whole experience, you know, with summer camp. And for those that don't know, summer camp used to be something we would do with clients, but it it turned into kind of this staff outing, and we we worked out, you know, five of the seven days. I mean, there was you know basically two travel days. But five of the seven days, and I mean, you know, when you work out more, you're going to have your muscles filled up a little bit more. You know, I had a client talking to me about vacation, and they were just like, man, it feels like I haven't worked out a day in my life. You know, that's the way vacation feels, especially <laughs> if you're not working out. I, I, I have to say, I love working out when I'm on vacation because – I'm sleeping well, typically, you know, I mean, at summer camp, I mean, I slept great, you know, <laughs> I, was, I, was, it too. I was in that little corner, you know, <laughs> with everybody, you know, took my nap every single day. Yes, um, he did. And he was in the basement by himself in the corner. Yeah, it was so awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate everybody listening to this. Hopefully it kind of helps people, but I think really that guilt cycle that people have related to food, you know, I think we're starting to see this a lot more where people are considering what mental health looks like as opposed to just physical health. And physical health, you know, I can go to a doctor right now. I actually posted an article, you know, my body fat percentage. I mean, like you said, you know, it's sort of debatable depending on the method. But right now my body fat percentage is 18%. There's a lot of people that think that that's a death sentence. And it's not a death sentence. I can walk into my doctor right now and my doctor be like, dude, you're looking healthy. You know, yeah. I, I think that, you know, kind of in this world where everybody's lifting weights and crossfitting and, and marathons and, and all this, stuff, it, like it's cool to be able to root for all that, but you have to kind of make your journey individual to you, right? Mm -hmm. and, and physical health, does not mean that you can see all the striations in your spleen, right? Um, <laughs> I find a new one. That's my that's my big go-to one. Um, I know. <laughs> probably overusing it. All right. Well, it was great talking to you, Meredith. Everybody have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Bye now.